0: All right. Well, I just want to welcome everybody to uh, to church here this afternoon. I especially want to welcome back anybody that was here last week for our hero service. If you're back with us, thank you again so much for coming back. Uh, we're grateful that you're here. And, uh, and you know, last week for our hero service, we kind of took a break from what we've been doing lately, and we've been going through the book of Galatians, as you see behind me, and, uh, and we've been going through a series titled "A New Creation." that's always a great concept to think about. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. But it comes from this scripture in Galatians 6. It says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. God wants us to be new. Amen? Amen. Amen. We don't have to be stuck in our old crusty selves. We get to be made new. He sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be saved, but also be daily renewed as new creations. And we love new things as people. Yeah. You know, how many of you guys are, are actually excited about the new iPhone that's coming out? <laughs> kind of? Yeah. It's not really all that special other than there's, a, there's more camera. But, amen. Um, my brother got it, and he was really fired up about it. Um... I got a new baby coming in December, and I'm fired up about that. That, really anything that's new, even maybe if it's just, if it's just new to you, you know what I'm saying? Like if you're a thrift store person, you can still get excited about something that's new to you. You know, I'll tell you this quick story. So in the last week, uh, my youngest, uh, we we were doing that, that, uh, that diaper dice roll thing, where we were being really good parents, and we were down to our last diaper. In the house. But it's bedtime. So like, okay, she's going to bed. It's the last diaper. We should be good until tomorrow. And what happens? She pooped her pants in the middle of the night. So we got to deal with that at like 8.30. So we're panicking, looking for another diaper. And uh, with our first child, we did the cloth diaper thing. But then we realized with the second one, this is completely unrealistic for our life. And so we've been trying to get rid of them, but we still had some left over. And so luckily, in the clutch, we pulled out a cloth diaper. And... uh. My daughter, after she got changed, she came out like backing up like this to show us her diaper and how fired up she was about it. She literally came in just going, da da da. She was fired up about her new diaper. It definitely wasn't a new diaper. But it was new to her. And it's so exciting that God allows us to be made new. But there's also a struggle that comes with new. New can mean unfamiliar, unknown, and sometimes unsure, as Sean was talking about a little bit ago. And our nature as human beings, when there's unsure, is to default to what's familiar, right? I love the idea of being made new in Christ, but it also makes me uncomfortable. Because it means I have to look to God for direction instead of trusting myself. And I've known myself for 32 years. We tend to choose things also that damage us sometimes because they're familiar and they seem easier than being new with Christ. And this is one of the main themes of the the book of Galatians, as you've hopefully seen already. The Jewish Christians were having a hard time leaving their life under the Old Testament behind because it was familiar. It's what they knew. And so what they did that sometimes we do in our lives as well is they try to take their old life and they combine it with their Christianity. And it doesn't work like that. God wants us to live a new life with Him leaving the old behind. And Paul writes this book to the church to encourage, to challenge, to correct their thinking. We aren't supposed to go back to the Old Testament. Amen? But what we do do as we go to our old way of thinking, or sometimes we can live our lives based on the rules of church, but to, rather than to live with Christ built on grace and walking by faith. We've been talking about all that over the last several weeks, and this brings us to chapter 5 that we're going to be going through here together. I want you to turn there to Galatians chapter 5, and the title of our sermon here this afternoon is called Free Spirits. And as you turn there, we're going to say a word of prayer. Father, I just really want to thank you so much, uh, God. That you you make us into new creations. That Father, no matter where we are in our life right now, no matter how familiar a church is or the Bible is to us, we've been around forever or, for, or we're brand new to it. God, that we still have the opportunity right now to even figure out what a new creation needs to look like in our lives. Father, I pray that you clear out the distractions. I pray that you you pull aside even in me any, any insecurities or. Weird thoughts, just to, just to be able to preach your word as effectively as possible. I pray that Holy Spirit, you really uh, prepare us for what you desire for us to see in your scriptures today. We love you so much, in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, so point number one this afternoon is the freedom. Let's start in, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith The righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one that is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, then why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. That's in the Bible. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. We'll pause there. So There's obviously a lot to be said in these scriptures. Paul starts off the chapter by saying it it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And the context of this discussion is these people wanting to choose to live their life by the Old Testament again instead of walking with Jesus. That's the heart of what he's trying to get. He said, why would you, why would you give up the freedom of the New Covenant as a Christian to go back to the Old Covenant with its, with its rules, regulations, with the, with the sacrifices, the, the festivals? Why would you go back to that when you have this? And he equates living under the Old Testament law to choosing slavery. This is an interesting thing. I don't even have time to go into all the details of the Old Testament to the New Testament. But verse 3 even, even alliterates this. He says, if you allow yourself to go through, which circumcision was a big deal under the Old Covenant, That's what, this is what marked you as God's people, he said, if you allow yourself to be circumcised, then you're obliged to obey the whole law. The idea behind it is, he said, look, you can't just pick and choose little things that you want to keep. You got to do it all. And in verse four, he even calls it in a bold way. He says, "You are trying to be justified. You who are trying to be justified by the law. Have alienated yourself from Christ, and you have fallen away from grace." Let those words marinate in you for a second. That's a heavy thing to consider. You say, look, you're you're choosing to leave the grace of God for this. You know, we had a whole discussion on this in chapter 1 and 3, so we won't go into the whole Old Testament concepts uh, today. But I'm pretty sure, if we took a show of hands, that no one in this room is really struggling with wanting to live by the Old Testament. Right? If you're in church here 2,000 years later, you're probably not thinking, man, Jake, I cannot wait To go back to the book of Leviticus and just make that all happen. If you are, please come grab me after church. We'll go grab coffee. I'll pay because we got a lot to talk about because I'm very curious. Right? But what Paul does is, hopefully, you noticed here is that he transitions in verse 13 to not just be talking about the problem of the Old Testament and New Testament. In verse 13, he talks about he says. he says the freedom that Christ is free from was not just the old covenant. It was the freedom from our flesh. Amen. The freedom is not just about a theological issue. It's about a deeper spiritual struggle that we have. And we love freedom. America. Oh, yeah. Freedom of expression. Free press. Free religion. We can go have a park service and sing out loud in the open and nobody can tell us no. Amen. Some of you have stuck, stuck around the desert to go a COD because you want free college. We love wandering Costco in my family because they got free samples. We love things that are free. But what Paul seems to be addressing here in us is a fundamental misunderstanding that we have with the concept of freedom. If you look at verse 13 again, I'm gonna reread it. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Says you are free. Jesus died to give us freedom. But the point of freedom is not what we tend to think of. The point of freedom is not to indulge the flesh, which we're going to get into in point number two. Can I explain that a little bit more? But the point of freedom is for us to serve and love one another. And you know what? I don't know about you, but that doesn't necessarily sound like freedom to me. You mean I'm free to serve other people? And really what that says is that the problem with freedom is that we mischaracterize it. We mischaracterize freedom to mean I am free to do whatever I want. Our concept of freedom tends to be fundamentally selfish. You know, like when I think about my day off, when I have time by myself, you know what I'm usually not thinking about? Man, I cannot wait to do all the chores in my house and encourage my wife. Sometimes I'm more spiritual than that, and I do. You know I'm thinking about my family? I'm thinking about, man, I want to go to the gym. I'm going to go, maybe will get some food that I like to eat. I'm going to watch the shows I like to watch. I'm thinking about me. And I know I'm not the only wretch in this room that struggles with that. Because we have a jacked up view of freedom. And if you think about it, if we live with this broken understanding of freedom, it's going to be the end of us. What Paul actually warns about in verse 15, he says, if you if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, "If if a group of people, if, if all the people in this room, if we only cared about getting what we want, guess what would happen? we would devour and bite each other. Probably literally. If you care only about yourself and not others, you'd destroy each other. Think about it even when it comes to driving. This is something that we all get to experience. We all have freedom under driving laws, right? We know that. To do whatever we want. But what happens when the road is full of drivers exercising selfish freedom. You know what happens? This. Yep. It's turn up volume. It stresses me out. All right, all right, I'm turning it off. I just, I can't. Now that's New York, but the reality is we live in Southern California, you know, you don't have to drive very far to see the exact same thing. Right? I remember when, uh, some of our best friends lived, uh, lived over, uh, near Santa Monica. And whenever we go to visit, I wonder, why is everybody honking their horns? Constantly. It's because they're frustrated! And there's nothing else to do to vent your frustration outside of running somebody off the road except to honk the horn. It's not even, it's not even accomplishing anything. And so we, we know this on the road, that when we think this way, it doesn't accomplish what we want. It creates accidents and stress, and you go home feeling like your shoulders are up in your neck. Right? When we think of freedom as a place where we can do wherever we want, we damage ourselves and others. And really what it does is it puts us in a place of relational slavery, is what Paul's talking about. Because anybody that's married in here or has had roommates before knows, if you only think about yourself, that relationship is not going very well. Although, technically, you have the freedom to. But there's something even deeper with this. Because part of the problem with this view of freedom is that it views God and it views church as a place of slavery. Right? Yeah, faith. that this becomes a place of rules and have-tos, where God is trying to keep me from doing the things that I really want to do. If I didn't have to go to church, I'd be at home watching football right now. If I didn't have to tithe, man, we could afford to go on more trips, buy nice things for my kids, or this and that. If I didn't have to go to midweek, I could be resting on a Wednesday night. I mean, it's the middle of the week. Come on, guys. If you you notice the familiarity in that tone, it's because it's exactly what Satan did to Adam and Eve in Genesis. And that story continues to blow my mind even now, as many times as I've read it over. Because God literally said 99.99999% in this garden is yours. They had freedom. And Satan told them, told no, 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 you don't. Because God's keeping you from something, something really awesome. So do you really have freedom? On, I struggle with this a lot more than I really want to admit. That when my freedom is about me, I do a lot of damage in my life. I damage my marriage. I damage my kids. I tend to be a lot more short-tempered and just, just a butt. You know, even thinking, I mean, think about any time where you've just overindulged in something for yourself, or you go on like an eight-hour TV thing or whatever it may be. You never feel good. You're never done with that mode thinking, man, I'm so glad I did this. You're more, you kind of end up with that, that, this weird headache. And you feel gross. That's not the freedom that Paul's trying to help us to have. The point of Jesus dying on the cross was not to free you up to be selfish. The freedom that Paul is referring to in this passage is purity. Something that we might feel like God's trying to keep something from me. In Matthew 5, what Jesus says, he says, no, look, purity allows you to see God. Completely unhindered. The, pure, or the freedom Paul's referring to is living without fear or p- of punishment. 1 John 4 says, says there's no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. So to really live in the freedom of Christ means means to be free from worry of punishment spiritually with God. It means the freedom to be fully known and in the light without shame. In John 3, Jesus says, Whoever wants to live by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done in the sight of God. To be able to have relationships with people where I, I can be completely honest, not just about my sin and my junk, but how I'm feeling. My bad attitudes. I can be, I, I can be honest about the good things. I can be fully known in my relationships. That's freedom. It's not freedom to binge Netflix. This freedom frees us to enjoy God completely. To enjoy who God is and who we are to Him. To live with confidence and to have an identity that's built around God and not things that will be taken. This freedom allows us to love people unhindered. To not be overly worried about what do you think of me? You know, am I being too awkward? Am I preaching a good sermon right now? I don't have to worry about that. I don't care. And you think about the friendships that you get to have in God's kingdom when you're really living by freedom. I had really close friends in high school. I don't trust him as much as I love him nearly as much as I trust most of you guys. I've only known you for two years. I love dating in God's kingdom. Amen? Amen? You know, I did it. I I, I had the relationships outside of God's kingdom. And it wasn't anything like what I got to experience with my wife. I could show somebody my phone and not have to hide my text messages to her. I could be walking around with her in public and not worry about who sees. I could be completely confident in the relationship that I had with her with no shame. That's the freedom that, that God's trying to get us to see. Yeah. Right. I'm going to show you a scripture here that goes along with this before we move on to point number two. It's in Romans six seventeen through 18. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Paul's reminding us here that, that, that freedom is not just freedom to choose whatever you want. That's actually slavery. When I just choose whatever I want, I choose slavery. Things that damage me. He's saying, look, because of Jesus, I get to be free from that. I would rather be a slave to righteousness, and that's even kind of a weird phraseology sometimes. You know the thing about being a slave to something good? Man, I'd, be, I'd rather be a slave to righteousness than a slave to my sinful nature. Paul says that freedom that is about you is slavery. It's a lie. Jesus died to free us from this. And he's trying to encourage us to say, don't go back to it again. If you're a redeemed disciple of Jesus, why would you go back to it again? Choose righteousness. And that leads us to point number two. Point number two is the wolves. The freedom and the wolves. I'm going to pick up in verse 16 after I take a drink of water. Verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. We'll stop there. So as Paul continues here, he says, because you've been given freedom, you need to look at the way you live. He goes on to describe this war that is going on inside of all of our hearts. If you are a baptized disciple of Jesus, according to the scriptures, it says that you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Amen? Amen. But you also have this thing called the flesh. And some translations, if you've been around for a while, you know even the older NIV used to just simply say the sinful nature. But really, that's an incomplete understanding of what Paul's talking about here. The Greek word that Paul uses, you know, this is coming, is this word, is a Greek word called sarx. And this is a word that doesn't just describe our deliberate sinful nature, something that you know to be obviously wrong, that you choose to do. But it describes our animal nature. If you were at our marriage retreat last year, you remember David Bruce talking about our reptilian brain. You know, that you get in a fight and you, and you click in and you're really engaged, that you snap into that part of your brain that's more like an animal? That's the idea. It's where anger and fits of rage come from, when you just, you just can't stand it anymore and you just snap. And you know, what it, what it really is, is actually by itself is not specifically sinful. But left to indulge itself, will be. You think about it this way. If you left a hungry dog in a house by itself, it is liable to do to cause a whole lot of damage in its pursuit of food, right? Is the hunger wrong? No. no. It is a base animal instinct that all of us have in us. That's why some of you are frustrated with me right now. It's because you didn't have a good lunch and you should have. <laughs> Stop being hangry. Alright? But when you look at the dog, but left to itself, it's going to cause a lot of damage. Our flesh desires things that tend to lead to destruction. When I feel anger, the emotion itself is not sin. In Ephesians, it talks about that. In your anger, do not sin. But if I make my choices by my anger, I'm going to be in a whole lot of it. If we live by these fleshly desires, we're going to choose things that are not of God. And the production is what we see in verse 19 through 21. Paul demonstrates what, what this flesh nature, when we live by, by that sarks what it produces in us in verse 19. I don't have it up there. So down in your Bible it says, the acts of the flesh, the sarks are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Things that are so damaging that literally tear families apart. That's what our flesh produces. As a matter of fact, he takes it a step further. If you catch there at the very end in verse 22, he says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's important for us to process this, that this was written to Christians. That's not not for people out there that are trying to study the Bible and figure out their relationship with God. That's for you. That's for me. He's saying, if you, as Christian, as Joe or Jane Christian, continues to live by your flesh, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. What is Paul's answer to this part of us? Does it just say no? Is it white knuckling it until heaven? It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. Where's Luke LeBerge? Is he in here? Oh, he's not here today? Okay. So I was going to ask him this, but, but you guys who have been around small kids know this, right? What happens if you just try to tell small kids no all day? Does that work? Does it accomplish much of anything? No. Sometimes that's what it feels like with my one-year-old. But that's not how it processes. We're not made that way. If I tell you, don't stand up, you have to think about it. It's like the stupid thing, you know, the whole, like, don't think about a pink elephant. All I can do is think about a pink elephant. Paul's answer to this struggle within our flesh is to live By the Spirit. Look at what it says in verse 16 again. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That is an incredibly freeing scripture, guys. It says when we choose to live in righteousness and what pleases God we're going to battle off that part of us that wants to live like an animal. That wants to treat other people based on how we feel in the moment. You this passage always reminds me of a scene from a movie that came out when I was in college. It's a terrible movie. Don't go watch it. Okay? I don't even want to tell you the name because it's dumb. It's not inappropriate. It's just stupid. All right? But, uh, but there's a scene where this guy is in a cave with this woman. And you might have heard some of this story before. Um, he's in the cave with this woman. He's battling because he wants to kill all these people and stuff like that. And uh, she, he's talking to her and she, she tells him, she says, my, my grandfather told me a story. He said, there are two wolves that war in a man's heart. One of love and one of hate. And he says, well, which one wins? She says, the one you feed the most. When I read this passage, about the war that's going on in our hearts. That's what I think about. Amen. What you feed your heart is what's going to determine what comes out of you. Amen. Amen. In Mark seven twenty through 23, we're not going to read it. Jesus is challenging the Pharisees with this. He says, look, it's not, it's, not, it's not the stuff from the outside that makes a man unclean. It's what comes out of the heart, the sin that comes out of the heart that makes a man unclean. It's not, that's the whole thing we were talking about washing your hands. That's not what it matters. What we feed ourselves spiritually, what we choose to indulge in in our hearts is what's going to determine what comes out of us. There's a, I got my degree in exercise science. There's a saying in the fitness world. You can't out-train a bad diet. You might have heard it before. Right, Joel? Right? doesn't matter how often you work out. Garbage in, garbage out. You know, if if you're sluggish in the gym as you're trying to work out, it's probably because you're eating a bunch of junk. They're supposed to go hand-in-hand with each other. The same goes for us Spiritually. You can't live righteously no matter how much you try while you're indulging in your flesh. If you're feeding your flesh a bunch of junk, what's going to come out of you is not righteousness no matter how many church services you've been to. No matter how good my sermon may or not be on a Sunday. Is what coming, is, if what is coming out of your heart right now, is what we just read in verses 19 through 21, and it's not what you see in verses 22 to 23, then you have to ask yourself what you're feeding yourself. What are you watching? What are you listening to? What are you reading on social media and the internet? What friends are you hanging out with? And the list can just keep going on and on and on. What am I feeding my heart? Even if it's something that's not as overt. Yeah, you go, okay, well, I'm not like acting out in sexual immorality or anything like that. But if it's jealousy, that's coming out in your relationships. What are you feeding? Maybe it's time for us to go on a spiritual diet, church. And you know what? This is a challenge. Good Lord, this is not easy. Has anybody ever tried to wean yourself off of sugar or caffeine? Yeah? You see, we're all like, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what that's like. You know exactly what that's like. What happens? You get cranky, you get headaches. Essentially what happens is your body throws a fit. Right? It's like well, how can you do this to me? And for like a week you're not very pleasant to be around. When you fight to wean things off that feed your flesh, guess what happens? Your flesh throws a fit. When you're used to certain things, when I'm used to overindulging, you've ever seen the videos where uh, there's the um, Jimmy Kimmel video where he tells the parents to turn off the kids' TV while they're playing Fortnite? Go home and watch it. You'll see what I'm talking about. These kids lose their minds when they turn it off. But it's not just that. We think about men. If you're used to going to bed at night and watching TV, the idea of turning the TV off before you go to bed—it's like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> you mean I got to pray instead of watching TV? No. Your flesh fights it. You know, when I first started really going after repenting of pornography and impure relationships, my spirit threw a fit. And those scenes where, where you see like a, like, a, like a demon on the shoulder, that was like my life for a really long time. Really, my flesh did not want to give that up. It was familiar. There were times where it felt good. But it literally, like, I was like, no, I, I know this is damaging me. I know this is going to hurt my future relationships. I need to change this. And then as I'm walking through my day, I could feel Satan on my back all day long. But luckily, like I said, Paul's solution was not just to say no. I just say, don't don't lust. Don't get angry. Don't, don't stop that. Paul said, let's walk by the Spirit. There's something for you to do. Amen. And I want to close by talking about this. When the Bible tells us the functions of the Holy Spirit, it says a couple of very specific things. Romans 8.26 We talked about this on Wednesday at midweek. It says that the Spirit prays for us. In John 14, 26 and John 16, 13, it says that the Spirit, He will remind us of what Jesus said and guide us into all truth. In John 15, 26, it says the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. And then in verse 27, it says, Jesus says we must also testify. When Paul tells us to keep in step with the Spirit, It reminds me of running with somebody, running next to somebody. And the Spirit is running out, and Paul's saying, Keep up. This is what the Spirit wants to do. This is what the Spirit is going to do. Run with it. Stay with it. What the Spirit wants to do, go with it. So if the Spirit prays for us, you know what that probably says? We should be praying. I need to be praying. If the Spirit reminds me of what Jesus said and guides us in truth, then I probably need to be in the Bible and reading the truth. If the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus, then I should be telling people about Jesus. And what's awesome about this, guys, is what it says is that it's going to produce something in us. Christianity doesn't have to be white-knuckling and just hanging on and trying not to mess up. Let's read verse 22 again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. <clears throat> As we learned on Wednesday, <clears throat> In our, in our midweek, we were talking about the lesson on prayer. The awesome thing about these verses is these are not individual things that you have to fight for. How many times do you, have you told yourself to like, or, or try to fight after or chase after peace? Or self-control? Or joy? God, help me to be patient. What Paul is saying here is that these are things that the Holy Spirit can and will start producing in you when you're walking in step with Him. When you're running alongside of it, God just says, the Holy Spirit's going to make this stuff come out of you. Amen. Amen. It's not individual things to chase after. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. The more I water the Spirit and nourish the Spirit inside of me, the more that this stuff is going to come out of me. And it's the stuff I want anyways. And you gotta you gotta meditate on this for a second. Because I know that a lot of these things, man, these are not my nature. No matter what you maybe think of me, I'm not necessarily an overly joyful person. I tend to be very critical and negative in my nature. But what this scripture is telling us is that God can unleash things in us that we are not capable of on our own. Things that are weaknesses. There are challenges to us. I can be a man of joy. I can be a man of peace, of faithfulness, through the divine power of the Holy Spirit, when I'm choosing to feed it and walk in step with it. As we take communion together, I want us to reread verse 1. Said is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The spirit of this shows up in almost all of Paul's letters. That if Jesus was willing to die for us, he died because he wants us to experience real freedom with him. Not a freedom of pursuing selfish desires, but a freedom to walk unashamed with our God. To love people with reckless abandon. You know, as we take communion together, Paul told the church in Corinth that when they take communion, they ought to examine themselves. This is supposed to be a time, it's not just a ritual, you bow your head, close your eyes, that it's supposed to be a time of self-examination. And I want to encourage you to examine yourself. Am I living in freedom or in slavery? And again, this, does, this is not a question of whether or not you're a baptized disciple or not. You can still choose slavery again. Am I walking in step with the Spirit Or am I following my flesh? But the awesome thing about this, and one of the great things I think about communion and part of what Jesus, I think, was trying to remind us of was that Jesus died in spite of where we are. He He died when we were enemies. That's what it says in Romans. That even now, we have the opportunity to live by freedom. Even now, we have the choice to live differently. And so if you're in a place where you have been stuck in slavery, maybe your whole life, maybe you've returned back to it again, let's fight for freedom. Use this as a chance to, a chance to pray, to apologize to God, but also use this as a springboard to getting help to be different. God didn't save us so that we could live as condemned slaves again in this church. He called us to live free. So let's uh, let's bow our heads and we're going to take communion now together. Father, I just really want to thank you so much. God, thank you so much that you don't leave us where we are. And I know that the church that Paul was even addressing was not in a great place. They were not in this stellar spiritual state. I know, Father, sometimes when I'm coming to uh, to church and even taking communion, I, I can struggle with with guilt of where I feel like I should be. Well, God, I pray that right now we will come as we are, but that we will be honest with ourselves and with you about the slavery or freedom that we've been in. And I pray, God, that this will be the beginning of even choosing the freedom that you offer. We love you so much, Father, and see your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.